Rocky Top Sunrise is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. Hey, Owen, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm excited to talk to Rick today. Yeah, I'm stoked. We too. already did talk to Rick. We already did talk to <laughs> Don't Rick. Don't lie to our listeners, Owen. What do yeah, you sorry. We already we already talked to Rick, but today we're gonna talk to Rick. You're gonna hear us talk to Rick later. Uh, Rick is the coordinator of Sunrise Nashville. He's super awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's an awesome dude. He's a uh, he's the first person I met. Um, I've probably told the story a thousand times, but he he's how I got connected with Sunrise here in Tennessee. Um, super knowledgeable guy and definitely knows his politics. Um, you know, especially when it comes really, when it relates to climate better than pretty much anybody I know. <laughs> he, so um, he was, yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, I didn't oh, mean to cut you out there, but he was the one who reached out to me to go help with the Senate runoffs in Georgia. And that ended up being like one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my life. So that was, yeah. Big That's props so to Rick awesome. for that, for inviting me to that. But yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about like, I guess the first, first hundred days of the Biden administration, probably the best way to put it. Um, we ended up talking about mostly good things, which I, which is, I feel like is a good change for me sometimes because I pretty much <laughs> exclusively talk about the bad things that, that are going on within that administration. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I think you and I share that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was nice. It was nice. I mean, I, as, as we talk about in the episode, I've been pleasantly surprised with a lot of things so far yeah. and hopefully I just hope that that continues. That's kind of, kind of the way I see it. Mm. So yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess, I mean, we really don't have too much to intro here. This is, a, no, it's don't. a pretty straightforward episode. Um, the good, the bad, and what we'd like to see, um, you know, out of the Biden administration and just really, you know, we got to go ham this year. <laughs> That's kind yes, of the we point do. we want to drive home is we got to, this mm-hmm. is the time to pressure. Yeah. It's a fun conversation. I think y'all are going to enjoy. And here you go. One, two, one, two, three, four. Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side? Karen, Sunrise Nashville, talk a little bit about Biden's first bit of time in office. Hey, Rick. Hey, Owen. So excited to talk with y'all. So, so glad to, to have you. It's a dream checked off my box to be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if I if I do recall, I think that you were on, was it our very first episode? Very first one. Yes. Yeah. It's so back. good to have you back. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and we're we're here to have Rick. Um, he is kind of a actually very much so a political guru. <laughs> Definitely one of my go-to guys, um, go-to people when it comes to, you know, just questions I have about how people in power are doing, <laughs> whether they're doing good or bad things, um, especially when it comes to climate, because that that is um, has most definitely been his focus for a very long time. So uh, I guess my first question would be, Rick, what are your first impressions of how the Biden administration is doing so far? Guru is a little bit of a stretch, Cassie, but I'm super <laughs> proud to have this I don't think so, but you're being humble. And your audience, for sure. Um, yeah, Biden administration so far, it's still like, only a month in, right? So we have to yeah. measure yeah. accordingly and measure how much you know, um, 
that it's only been a month in. I think people I trust and listen to have been pleasantly surprised by how the Biden administration has started on climate justice stuff, but the the real proof is going to be in the legislative pudding, you know, mm -hmm. like the lower hanging fruit that he can do just by himself is important. Um, but all that fruit is gone. The lower hanging fruit is gone. And so now like the big stuff, the stuff that's actually going to be, you know, the most important still lies ahead. And so his biggest challenges are definitely still ahead of him and whether he's going to really commit and come through is still a big outstanding question. He really did run a lot on, on, on climate issues more than I would have expected from him down the stretch. And he, I mean, if we're specifically talking about climate, if that's all we're looking at, he has, he actually has exceeded my expectations. I think he's done better than I thought he was going to do at this point. Yeah, I agree. I think that on, of course, there are a lot of other issues, um, you know, where I, I, I do think that I, I wish that I had, I have seen, I would like to see more. <laughs> I know we'll probably get into the student dish debt issue at some point, um, but focusing on, on climate, of course, I he has already as well like exceeded my expectations. And I want to temper that with like understanding exactly what you said, Rick, that we still have a monumental ways to go. Um, but even like Naomi yeah. Klein is like, I, she has said that she's, and she's someone of course that I trust very much so on this issue that she has been very pleasantly surprised <laughs> on climate alone, um, you know, so far in his administration. And one of the things that I personally was really excited to see was him using language. And this wasn't, this isn't the first time he's used language that is, that echoes kind of Sunrise's um, yeah. whole spiel. But yeah, right. Like, but his, when he announced his civilian climate core, um, obviously that's like catering, you know, it's kind of, framed around young people largely and he he wrote that he wanted to provide good jobs for young people and um so that they could have a and he, i can't remember the exact language he used but it was something akin to like livable future straight out of that's <laughs> our straight thing, out hey. of our playbook so i don't know rick uh, what are what are some of your thoughts on that like some of the um in some of those executive orders that he put out, like including the Civilian Climate Corps, how did that feel to you as a, a longtime Sunriser? I think it was honestly proof of how much, um, not just Sunrise, but the climate movement and like youth organizers more broadly, how much power they built. Yeah. Um, again, still so, so far to go, but I don't think you would have seen those executive orders. Um, without the advocacy and the pressure and the political power being built um, mm -hmm. by climate movement folks. Um, you know, I don't know any of the inside story, but you know, there was a um, Varshini uh, was with Sunrise National as the executive director and some other folks, um, you know, movement folks were invited to join these like unity committees last summer right the sort mm. of bernie biden unity committees to work on the yeah. platform um and that's such a again i don't know any of the inside story but that's such a tough line to walk um <laughs> you know, just in general the tough line you know um and i you know if, if you asked me at the beginning of the summer when i first heard that news break i'm like i'm not sure i'm not sure if this is going to work um but honestly the Sunrise folks and other movement folks who were part of those committees, I think really managed to basically work it outside inside. Well, not outside, it's outside inside is not the right word, um, but they had folks inside on the inside 
while the policy yeah. in the platform being drafted, delivering the message that, hey, if you want our young voters to come through for you, if you want climate voters to come through, this is what it's gotta be. Mm -hmm. So really it was the way they, the way, you know, the way it worked out, it was a way, instead of a way to be, um, some people might say co-opted or a way to get kind of outmaneuvered by Biden. Mm -hmm. um, this was actually, I think movement folks were pretty savvy on those commissions and use it as a way to keep the pressure up on Biden. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you see that in some of the executive branch appointments that they, you know, that are great. You see it in the executive actions, like 40% of federal climate investments going to environmental justice communities, um, the civilian climate core. So yeah, I don't think, I mean, um, that's all stuff from the ascendant climate justice wing of the, yeah. um, the communities on the ground, the national groups like Sunrise, um, folks like NextGen, did a really great job in keeping the pressure up on the Biden administration and reminding mm -hmm. them that they really needed youth voters um, and then delivered to beat Trump. Um, but I think that was, yeah, it's proof that we built some power and now we have to really deliver on the big stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think the messaging is super, I, I really love how much Sunrise focuses on the language that they use and the way they uh, like frame their narratives and set things up. Um, have, like good jobs, livable future. That's such a nice, succinct way of of pitching like climate action on a federal level um, to voters, and that's so nice to see that like uh, trickling up. I, I saw it again this week with all the stuff happening um, in Texas and just like the massive winter storms we're seeing. And there's like, you know, it's really easy to be dismissive of like all these like right wing narratives that are happening kind of in this space that we are not exactly in. We're not like super, but a lot of people are listening to. Fox News host saying that this is because of windmills and that this is because of solar panels and all this other ridiculous claims that they've been trying to make. Um, yeah, and it's important that we have like our message. I, I, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's really nice to see Joe Biden using that same messaging that's coming from us. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's a, it's kind of monumental, um, I think. I mean, that language like you know, is, is meaningful. And of course, like seeing it translate to action with a lot of his slate of executive orders that he's put out is, is truly meaningful. And, um, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't also, um, mention that on his, I think it was on his first day in office, he, um, canceled the permit that allows the Keystone XL pipeline to cross the border yeah. from Canada into the U.S., which obviously I, I think that that is just there's some really cool symbolism in that as well. And also just like it, it is meaningful because, you know, Biden, of course, <laughs> a huge part of his. I don't know, this character that he's created for himself as kind of a continuation of the Obama presidency. And for him to like cancel this thing that was like such a big contention during the Obama years, um, you know, that I mean, that was like a huge activist movement and has been and can, you know, continued to be until it was canceled. So mm -hmm. like that was that I, I think that was a pretty huge signal as well, um, you know, for him for him to do that. And I also just kudos to the the activists that <laughs> were unrelenting with that, yeah, with that issue, because obviously that wouldn't have happened without them, but. Um, There's still folks pushing on the Dakota access pipeline mm, and the line three pipeline, which right. are, I think both up in sort of the upper Midwest. Um, right. Al Gore actually tweeted about those and about the 
by Holly at Pipeline in South Memphis talking about racist pipeline routes. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a huge issue. We should do a whole episode on that. Honestly. Yeah. We've got to do an episode on that. That's a, that's a huge issue for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I don't know, uh, uh, Rick, what, what do you think? Um, I guess, uh, as you said at the beginning, and I think it's a, a good clarification, you know, it's, we're, we're a month in, um, and so that we have to like use that to temper our expectations somewhat. Um, however, of course, we also know that like, you know, that the, the political capital that he has, like, you know, he's got, it's kind of like less <laughs> than a year, like that he's really, I mean, you know, the first year, especially, but really like the first hundred days of his presidency is when he's going to have like the most political momentum and capital to do a lot of this stuff, at least from my understanding of it. So, um, I guess, what would you, even if you're not disappointed that you haven't seen it yet, what would you like to see, um, you know, reasonably like within the next year. So obviously like in a longer time span, we want to see the full green new deal. Like that's, that's what we want. That's what we're fighting for. Um, I mean, maybe that's part of your answer, but I guess like just from the Biden administration administration specifically, what would you like to see from them? Um, you know, as soon as possible, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, the, the green new deal was never going to be one bill, right. but we still have to like, be passing legislation and implementing policy that's at that scale, even if it comes in, you know, multiple chunks over the decade of the Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. um, so we still, even if it's not going to be one gigantic bill, we still can't have, you know, you can't nickel and dime it here. <laughs> you can't do tiny climate bills or tiny economic justice bills and get your way to a Green New Deal, at least not on the time scale we need to. Um, I think you're right. What I hear from people is, you know, whether this should, it should be this way is another question. But Biden's basically got till fall until a lot of these Congress members basically get distracted by their reelections and start spending more of their time and energy on that and sort of go to ground um, and lose their appetite for passing big initiatives until after they get reelected. Um, whether it should be that way or not, there's enough members of Congress that are going to react that way. Um, that that's um, he is he does have you know a few months. Um, to really get the big stuff done. Um, I mean, I think there are three pretty big things um, that I would be looking out for, that I am looking out for. One is the infrastructure bill. You know, there, mm -hmm. as Biden's been talking about, there's the American Rescue Plan, which is the COVID relief that needs to pass ASAP. Um, but then there's going to be sort of a bit, yeah, exactly. Um, need those checks, please. Right. And everything else in that package. And he doesn't need to, he so far hasn't watered it down and doesn't need to water it down. Right. Um, 2000 to 1400 to like <laughs> means yeah. testing and yeah. Um, but there's the, you know, whether the, you know, whether the infrastructure package economic stimulus is actually going to be, um, have a ton of money for, um, clean energy, um, decarbonization, um, transit, um, basically all, all the different ways we need to um, create millions and millions of um, climate saving jobs, basically. Um, how much of, there's probably gonna be some stuff for roads and bridges and the classic infrastructure stuff, but how, you know, that's, there's gonna be a non-zero amount of that. Um, but how much of it you know, how much of that infrastructure package is going to be about um, green infrastructure, climate infrastructure, mm -hmm. uh, climate jobs. 
and how much of it is going to be um, in line with sort of the thrive agenda that Sunrise and other Green New Deal folks have been putting out basically on how to have a just equitable um, recovery that creates a lot of climate jobs, um, mm-hmm. good paying jobs, um, doesn't leave out disenfranchised or marginalized communities. Um, and the Thrive agenda has been kind of an, an organizing hook, um, a set of really bigger principles um, that advocates have been trying to get uh, congressional leaders to commit to um, that the, the, they'll judge the infrastructure bill by. Like, did you guys actually, is what you're trying to pass actually in line with our principles and our values that you said you are gonna support? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's infrastructure is gonna be the biggest thing that happens on climate, but also there, we need labor reform and democracy reform if we're gonna mm-hmm. have a new deal. Absolutely. Right. Right. So I think the PRO Act and the HR1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act are going to be two things. Certainly, I'm not, honestly not as plugged in on the PRO Act, although I know um, a lot of folks are pushing for it. We really need it because yeah. Tennessee is about to further entrench right to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we really need the PRO Act to pass in Tennessee mm-hmm. in, here in Tennessee. But I think the biggest thing is going to be, is Biden going to pass the vote democracy reform mm-hmm. ASAP as well? Um, is and are they is he going to help put pressure on ending the filibuster because he can't do anything mm. without that right. so not it'll on climate, all just be not through immigration not on democracy not on anything can't do anything right uh, he'll, he'll he's just constrained to budget reconciliation essentially yeah if he doesn't yeah and you yeah, can, and, yeah. <laughs> sorry go ahead on oh my and i was just saying republicans are real nice when it comes to to <laughs> compromising on their budget issues so that's no problem that's all that's all i had if you lose like a democrat like you're screwed like jim manchin or whoever else (laughs) or 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 our full culty and kirsten cinema (laughs) (laughs) cracks me up you could bank shot some stuff um with budget reconciliation a little bit of stuff on climate but there's a lot of stuff you just can't pass at all Mm -hmm. budget reconciliation and the stuff you can pass is like much basically it's pared down. It's way smaller. You can't go as big as Biden has to go right. to provide the relief that we need, the economic mm-hmm. stimulus we need, and the reforms we need. And all that stuff is stuff he has to do, not only because it's right for the American people, but just to, you know, basically keep control of Congress. Um, yeah. 22 is coming. And he's, if he doesn't deliver it, his party's probably going to lose seats. Soon. Yeah. Deliver soon. Yeah. Deliver. Exactly. <laughs> Really deliver when he said was right after. I mean, he said immediately two thousand dollar checks after I'm elected. Um, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they want to lose sometimes. They'll figure it out one day, maybe. Let's just mean test ourselves into oblivion and see how that yeah. goes. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, Nolan. He's got you know, he you can't pass this stuff you know next year and have mm-hmm. the folks fully be able to like benefit from it or appreciate it in time for the election. Right. You know, so, I mean, I, like the mor- in addition to like the moral ground, you just can't yeah. wait around politically. If you're trying to like save your buns in the midterms, you can't wait around and American people can't wait around for relief. So on both in, in both those ways, he has to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I was listening to um, David Sirota talk about this and like he was talking about how it's just and I, I, I swear I won't get off on a tangent, but <laughs> um <laughs> He was talking about how he's just like flabbergasted that 
well, I mean, I guess not maybe at this point, but it's just so infuriating that like it seems like the Democrats just have a really hard time doing something that's simple. Like it's almost like we fetishize or, or Democrats like fetishize complexity um, when it comes to mm-hmm. policy. And it's like, oh, the more complex mm-hmm. and the more kind of like specific and um, techie, wonky, whatever it can be. And I'm not trying to like, you know, demean good policy that like, you know, Mm -hmm. hits all the right points. But I do think that he has a good point in that, like, you know, something that comes out fast, it goes to all American people, sort of like the 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 um, about how like universal policies tend to be more robust and they like last longer Mm -hmm. and they're easier to pass because everybody has like a buy in, like regardless of Mm -hmm. their income. Um, And that's something that we're like the two thousand dollar checks. It's just like a really it should be like a really easy thing. It pulls really well Mm -hmm. if you get it out. Well, I mean, it's a little bit late now, but it's still like better late than never. Like if you get it out right away, um, you know, it's politically advantageous. This is something that people are going to remember. You know, <laughs> it was yeah. such a big promise. It's like why we won Georgia <laughs> or a large part of why we won Georgia or in the Senate. Yeah. So um, yeah. I don't know. I, I just want to echo like how how important it is, I think, to, you know, to not screw that up. And yeah. um, and that it's just I don't want Joe Biden to make me a liar. You know how many Georgia uh, Georgia voters I looked in the face said, you know, we got to vote for yeah. they promised they promised two thousand dollar checks. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. I know all those people I called. Oh, yeah, you get those. checks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Senators Warnock and Senators Senator Ossoff are both also screaming the same thing at him. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know they are. I know they are. I've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so cool to see a couple of like, you know, Senate, like Democratic senators from Georgia being the ones that are like really pushing that in Congress. I mean, obviously, that's like, again, why they were put into office, like large, it was a decent part of that. But like, it's just also really cool to see, I think. So Rick, I wanted to also get your opinion on kind of the way that climate intersects with foreign policy, like, and also specifically, you know, <laughs> I mean, Biden is most definitely just a kind of a mainline imperialist, you know, um, just kind of towing the line of U.S. empire in terms of how he deals with the rest of the world and how that intersects with climate policy. And there's a lot that we could go into. There's so much. I mean, there's so much that we could go into there. But I specifically wanted to ask um what your feelings are on like the Biden administration's posturing towards China, because obviously we are going to need, you know, <laughs> we're need to, we're going to need to work with them <laughs> if we're um, if we're going to want to have like a worldwide strategy to combat climate change. Like they're going to be probably going to need to be the main partner here um, in terms of, you know, how we get this thing done. So I I guess I just want to hear your thoughts on that, you know, good or bad um, or both. And, you know, if if there's anything you like or dislike so far, what you would like to see um, on that front. I know just enough to know how very little I know about China. (laughs) Um, That's a big question. Yeah. (laughs) But no, you're right. I mean, they are, I think they, I mean, they're, you know, China and India and the U.S. together are going to be, you know, the preponderance of global emissions, and that's only going to get, um, um, so they're absolutely, um, and they're both still, in large parts of China, and they're still developing countries, large parts of them are, and so um, in terms of being collaborative and cooperative, I think um, the United States is going to have to spend money on climate adaptation in the rest of the world because we have a um honestly a moral responsibility given how much of historical emissions we account for um mm-hmm. but also right. 
have to have spending and policies that actually, you know, help these countries develop in a decarbonized, low carbonized way. Um, and that's a huge role that we have to fulfill, not only for climate justice, but, you know, just to, um, yeah, I mean, for climate justice and for getting emissions to zero as fast as we can. Uh, that's a huge role that we have to play. And I agree it has to be. I don't have any answers on China, but I agree that you're, um, we, we are going to have to be able to work with them on this. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like one of those things, at least the way that I see it is like, you know, I mean, countries, <laughs> of course, they, it's kind of like the symbolic nature of like um, China versus the U.S. And, you know, of course, Russia is included in there as well. But like <laughs> um, in terms of, you know, economic powerhouses right now, it's the U.S. and China and like you know, you've got these two different narratives going at each other. That's just, <laughs> I don't know, it's endlessly frustrating in my opinion, but um, because, because it just really gets in the way of the fact that we really need to be, you know, working together on this. And I, I think that mm. might be a lofty um, thing that I'm imagining because I think that the way that the U S <laughs> has been posturing for <laughs> like quite some time now has been that like, you know, kind of, pivoting against China as opposed to like, you know, being indifferent and or, you know, just kind of like tolerating, I suppose, um, which kind of, you know, frightens me because, you know, not only are they, are we the two large super largest superpowers, but then when you factor in climate, it's like, if we don't work together, mm. then we're kind of screwed. <laughs> yeah. So. And it's crazy. It's crazy how now, like, I remember when Trump was first elected, I was seeing all these compilations about how he just talked about how much he loved China. All, right like, all the time and then over the course of the last year and a half how just insane the cognitive dissonance is that the narrative is the exact opposite is china's the bad guy and they've always been the bad guy they intentionally created this virus to give you and and haggerty bill haggerty in tennessee ran as one of his main points was being tough on china um like blackburn that's a, too blackburn too yeah well that's, i mean she not ran. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but but that's something. She yeah, talks that's, about been, a lot. that's something she's been talking about a lot, and now that's a point in the Republican Party that you that they keep hammering home. So that's going to make that really difficult. So thanks, guys. We appreciate it, Bill. China, Marsha, China. That's right. China. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I want. It's like. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, with COVID, but I also just wonder. I mean, he had so many. Trump had so many people whispering in his ear, like just all of these sort of mainline. Uh, Republicans whispering in his ear, all these different things. So it's like, oh no, we're gonna like, we have to, we have to make them the baddies now, like or the the extra baddies. <laughs> it's yeah. very, very frustrating. Um, China, I mean, the Donald Trump and Haggerty, and well, especially, especially Trump. Well, no, Haggerty too. Trump and Blackburn and Haggerty left xenophobia way back in their rearview mirror. They crossed that line a long time ago. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they're way past that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a definitely definitely not something we ever want to overlook or forget. That's a huge, huge part of this. Yeah. It's really yeah. horrible and dangerous um, with especially, you know, <laughs> here in the US. I mean, Asian American hate crime is on on the rise. It's yeah. always been an issue, but it's definitely been on the rise, you know, since coronavirus. So it's yeah, not I've, not good. I've, I've had friends well, maybe... accosted, yelled at, cursed at in the street. Um, and you can draw a direct line from the rhetoric from Trump and Haggerty and Blackburn to that just there's a pretty straight line maybe maybe Biden could be pushed to make that a point of uh, being uh, environmental justice connecting to racial justice is, is we all we need to work with 
China. We need to work with these countries that we have not always had a relation with to solve this issue. And that's the thing, because it really is a lot bigger than the U.S. We can we can we can pass a whole Green New Deal here. And and that doesn't that definitely helps the issue overall, because we are a pretty big contributor that doesn't solve it. And so having that be a part of, of, of like, I don't know, a part of that messaging is we're reversing that xenophobic rhetoric. Um, we're not going to treat um, our, definitely not our own citizens like that, but not citizens who live in other countries too, because I don't know, climate change is a global issue. It affects all of us. Yeah. Yeah. That would be nice. <laughs> mm, it's like it a would. pipe dream. <laughs> it would be really nice. <laughs> yeah. We'll what happens at Biden's climate summit that he's having on, I think, April 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, a, I mean, it's, it's, imp- it's outside of sort of the formal UN climate talks, but it's, it's, you know, he's hosting it. So it's going to be, I'm not sure exactly how, what it's going to look like yet, but it'll be really important. Um, even if it's somewhere outside that UN negotiation track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Related to that. And we don't necessarily have to go down go down this pipeline, but I just, I also wanted to, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that related to the the China issue that, you know, the the Biden administration and Kerry and kind of the posturing about making climate change a national security issue, I think that's also a dangerous road to go down. So that was, that's something that I, you know, like I understand why they're saying it, um, but I also, I, I, it makes me very nervous just based on the the way that the U.S. history or the U.S. has historically like behaved when framing issues <laughs> in that sense and <laughs> fueling the military yeah. industrial complex through and like, you know, um, <laughs> where it benefits, you know, all the wrong people in the long run and still ends up hurting, you know, marginalized communities and communities around the world. So that's something that I will be watching closely and have just been a little bit you know, I've got some trepidation in the way that they've been framing that issue. I think that that is problematic. Mm-hmm. So did you, yeah. do either of you have any thoughts on that? That's more of an open-ended thing, I guess. I don't remember if it was DHS or somebody else in the Biden government, but there was some recent formal recognition or, or more recognition from the Biden administration of climate refugees. Um, nice. Awesome. Is, you know, the exact legal and policy questions can get a little thorny, but there's no doubt that um, climate refugees has long been cat acknowledged as a big category and a, something that's going to, a phenomenon that's only going to get worse. Um, and so I think, I definitely share your concerns, Cassie. Um, I think we have to, I mean, I think global security, I don't even know if you want to use that phrase, but sort of United States role in the world as a developed com- country, as a rich country, and our obligations to other countries and other people across the globe, I'm hoping that'll infuse our climate policy more than the national security frame. Yeah, I that I, I would like to see that as well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, well, I guess do uh, Rick, do you have any other final thoughts, any imparting thoughts, um, you know, with regard to the Biden administration or um, anything, you know, before we sign off here? Yeah, I just think, I mean, just tell folks to get ready because um, it's going to take all of us putting yeah. pressure on all of our representatives in Congress to get what we need this you know in the next few months especially so just kind of get get geared up get your phone banking and texting phones and get your signs out because it's the next few months are going to be you know prime time this is it's do or die for this first year of the Biden administration that's when it's going to go down is these next few months so it's going to take all of us to get this stuff over the finish line yeah those are definitely some good final thoughts there are some good things about the Biden administration that are good to be hopeful about. Um, 
just, you know, always remember that even the Democrats aren't your friends either. You push, we, we, we had a big goal to overcome. We got to push for like solutions uh, fast. Um, but yeah, I have some, some hope about the direction things are going. So I'm excited. Sunrise talks about, you know, always pushing for what we need. And that means no permanent enemies, no permanent allies. Yeah. Um, we just need the folks who are going to do what we need to do. Right. Definitely a good note to end on. Definitely um, everybody, as Rick said, <laughs> um, just be, get, you know, if you're not already, of course, as, as we always say, you know, get plugged in with Sunrise, look up your local hub. Um, you know, of course you can message us and we will get you plugged into the area that you are closest to, the hub you're closest to. If you're here in Tennessee, you know, we hope you join us and, um, and feel free to, of course, always ask us questions. You can DM us. Um, you can comment on, um, you know, our posts that where we will be posting these episodes and yeah, just to, to echo what Rick said, get ready. <laughs> we got to throw down. Buckle <laughs> up. Is, buckle up. <laughs> this is do or die. These, this next, these next few months and this next year, this is, this is the crunch time here. So um, this is when we've got to be spending that political capital and pressuring Biden to do so. So um yeah, well, thank you all so much for listening. And once again, um, Rocky Top Sunrise is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. And you can subscribe and support, subscribe to and support the Holler at tnholler.com. Um, follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and the YouTube page. <laughs> and the handle is at the TN Holler on YouTube. It's just you know, the Tennessee Holler. And of course, you know, follow Sunrise Movement. Rick is with Sunrise Nashville. Um, so, um, Rick, can you actually throw out that handle real quick? can't remember off the top of my head if it's shorter. Yeah, so ours for, you can follow us on um, Twitter for Sunrise Nashville. That's Sunrise Nash TN. Um, I believe it's the same for um, Instagram as well. And we're also on Facebook. There you go. And uh, Owen, you want to throw out the Chattanooga information? Yeah, if you're in the Chattanooga area, it's at Sunrise Chat for... Instagram and for Twitter and Sunrise Chattanooga for Facebook. Awesome. And yeah, and I, um, you know, I'm with Sunrise Franklin, so Sunrise Frank TN on Twitter, Sunrise Frank and, and Instagram, and then Sunrise Franklin on um, on Facebook. And of course, follow the main pages, Sunrise MVMTTN on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. We'll be back with you all in two weeks. So thanks once again for listening and goodbye for now. Which side are you on? Which side?